Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed our opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore, and you can download it on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, we're about sound information, not just sound bites, and our goal is really to raise all voices, big and small, all around the world. So if you are diagnosed, If you are caring or serving a person diagnosed, an advocate, a researcher, um, an entertainer, an author, uh, reach out to me. We would love to have you join us on the show. Everybody has something to say of value that that can teach, and that's what we're here to do. I also want to thank our listeners. Your likes, your clicks, and shares have really um, broadened our footprint and uh, all around the world and help build a sense of community and collaboration and comfort for those who need information and resources about dementia and caring for them. And it helps us, you know, win this battle against the disease. So again, thank you so much. Before I introduce our guest today, which is going to be a fascinating conversation on uh, some different aspects of of, um, what might help uh, those living with dementia and those caring for them as well. Um, we are going to just give a couple of shout outs. Um, first, I want to give a shout out to Coral Health. During this pandemic, they are allowing people to download free two of their programs. One is Music First, the other is Coral Health uh, or Coral Faith. And you just have to go to Coral and that's C O R O health.com and you can you can get the downloads there the other is the gain alzheimer's trial if you're 55 to 80 years old and diagnosed with mild to moderate alzheimer's disease and you have a care partner or family member who's willing to attend visits and help with reporting regarding daily activities and taking medications um, you know check that out because you may well qualify for that research trial and we know we need those trials in order to, to find a cure. And last is the MemoryCafeDirectory.com. Uh, there you can find where uh, people are gathering, both uh, those diagnosed and their care partners. Uh, many now have gone online. There are over 900 of them total uh, that Dave has listed on the directory. But again, you can um, find some virtual ones out there. And they, they don't have to be in your area. They could be in Australia if you're in the U.S. It, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you're welcome all over the world. So let's, let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. I'm excited to have Dr. Schilling with us. He's a doctor of, um, of chiropractic who specializes in brain-based wellness and healing with the root cause, you know, of looking at what symptoms and so far, so forth are. So welcome, Dr. Schilling. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lauren. How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing wonderful. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I know your schedule is busy. I'm wondering if you can um, tell our audience, I always like to ask this question uh, just to give people kind of a baseline, but have you personally been touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? Absolutely. Uh, dementia, as you know, and your show talks about regularly, um, dementia is touching every single one of our lives, whether it comes in the form of Alzheimer's, dementia, or any other neurodegenerative disease. And so I was born to a mother who had MS six years before I was born. And as a result, that's not necessarily directly tied to dementia and Alzheimer's, but if you understand how they all interplay as far as the neurodegenerative nature of them, 
um, when you have someone in your in your community, especially with me, we call them participants. So if I'm referring someone who's a participant, we don't call people patient because patient means suffering. So we call people active participants in our, our clinic. So when I work with a participant who has dementia, Alzheimer's, or some other type of neurodegenerative disease, we want to talk about all the different facets, whether it's the structural issues, the biochemical issues, or the neuroemotional issues. So when you work with someone, like I've had the pleasure to do with a lot of people, and you see them come in and you see the lights are sort of dimmed or off or they're forgetful, and you can work with them doing things like brain training and, and brain resets and things of that nature, it's just amazing to see what, how, how powerful the mind is. Okay, wonderful. So you haven't had anybody necessarily in your circle of friends or family with uh, with a form of dementia that you're aware of? That correct? Sure. So I, I apologize. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that portion. Yes, uh, not in my immediate family per se, but mm-hmm. I certainly have close friends who have it in their family. And you know, it, it's if you don't have the right mindset going into it, and um, I think that people oftentimes the hardest part, not having experienced it myself, but I see them struggle with you know the fear of loss of the person they care about the most. And so when you can yeah. go into it saying, okay, we don't necessarily understand what this person came into this world to experience or what they've experienced in their lifetime. We need to honor them and love them for who they are, where they're at, and not worry so much about what they're losing, but who they were and who they are still while they're here, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the questions I want to ask you is, you know, why did you pick chiropractic? Because I don't think people realize how much school you guys have to go through. Um, right. Yeah. It's a common misunderstanding. So can you, can you explain a little bit about what chiropractic is and why you chose to go that route? Sure. Absolutely. Well, chiropractic, the basic premise is that we're facilitating or, or helping the, the nervous system help itself. So when you think about um, doctors of chiropractic talk about the, the subluxation, which means it's a joint that's in its normal range of motion but not moving. That's what chiropractors talk about, subluxation. But when you really think about it from a global standpoint, chiropractic is facilitating the body from a holistic standpoint. It's helping the body get the nerve system function, re- releasing or removing interference to the nervous system function. Of course, if you have a properly functioning in the chiropractic world, a peripheral nervous system, which is what most chiropractors work with, that helps the central nervous system. So peripheral being nerves and joint tissues and nerves at the joints, that feeds back into the central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord. So I chose chiropractic specifically because it's hands-on, okay? So it's a hands-on modality. It's holistic in nature. It's drug-free, surgery-free, doesn't involve any of that. And basically it's uh, a way of helping people live their optimal health because let's be honest, if you have ever had an injury where you couldn't move your body, your quality of life decreases dramatically. So chiropractic is a tool, and I consider it a tool in my tool belt. It's a tool that helps people live their optimal health and reach their optimal um, livelihood and their quality of life by allowing their bodies to move because as soon as you stop moving, your brain starts to deteriorate. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I just turned 61 and all of a sudden I had back problems this year. I had neck problems. It was just like, and it was, it was just debilitating. I was like, I was in so much pain and um, I went to the chiropractor and he's like, oh yeah, we'll get this fixed. Not a problem. You know? And I was, sure. I was just amazed, but I had never been in that type of pain. Even when I was pregnant, I wasn't in that type right. of pain. Right. Yeah, it can and, be debilitating. It, it can be scary too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, why don't you tell our audience how your form of chiropractics is different from most traditional uh, chiropractors out there? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't even introduce myself as a chiropractor. I introduce myself as um, a, a doctor of natural healing. And when I say that, mm-hmm. I don't mean to diminish the, the profession of chiropractic. I simply say that I'm working with someone on three specific levels. The structural, which is what people go to chiropractors for, the biochemical, which is feeding into the injury or the, the disability that they're experiencing in their body, and then the type of stress that they're holding in their body, which is the neuroemotional stresses. We're neuro, neurologically wired human beings, but we are emotional human beings. So I need to help someone. And that's called the triad of health. If you're not familiar with that, that's through a, a science called applied kinesiology. So when you look at someone through a lens of applied kinesiology through the triad of health, you can help them dramatically and improve their lives and get their quality of life back by saying, what are the stressors that are affecting them? Because in, in the absence of trauma, in the absence of falling off your bike, falling off you know, the roof of your house, um, getting hit by a car, being in a car accident, in the absence of trauma, the body breaks down on the inside before the outside. And when you can appreciate that, then I look at a person saying, okay, if you haven't been injured and all of a sudden you've got this tweak in your back, let's dig in and find out why. 
for example, mm-hmm. uh, Laura, what, what, what part of your back were you hurting? Your low back, your mid-back, your neck, what part? Um, it was kind of mid, mid-back. I twisted a couple of ribs, actually, and I didn't okay. even know you yeah. could do that. Sure, absolutely fantastic. I mean, super common challenge for a lot of people. Uh, but when you understand, like, okay, what's going on in the mid-back? From a neuroemotional standpoint, that's like feeling stuck, inability to break through, inability to get through something. So there's probably something going on in your life that you're having trouble getting through. And then you can mm-hmm. look at the different organ systems that feed into there, like the nerves that come out of your mid-back that go into the certain organ systems. For example, here's an easy give, giveaway. The T4 vertebrae, that nervous system, out, the peripheral nerve goes out to the gallbladder area, is generally thought of. What happens is, let's say you have a gallbladder attack or some type of irritation in your gallbladder, and that could be due to an overload of fat. That could be due to overwhelming anger, frustration, resentment, and disappointments. So you could have had bile acids build up and get a stone built up in there. But when that reflexes from the gallbladder back to the spine to send the message up to the brain, say, hey, we got a problem here, your brain doesn't have specificity as far as that goes. So you're going to feel it two to four segments above that and two to four segments below that. So it can feel like your entire back is locked up, but at the same time, it's really just a reflex. And that's your body's check engine light. So you can go in there and get those ribs adjusted. You know, you can have a chiropractor, you know, maybe put your, their fist under your back and kind of, you know, lay on top or something like that. Or they can use a drop table from the, pushing down from the top. There's a lot of different ways to correct that. <clears throat> what I do is I'd rather say if the joint is out of place, if there's a quote-unquote subluxation, I want to know why. So I'm going to know why the muscles are holding that joint out of place because, the, you know, the, the joint didn't just go willy-nilly outside of, the, outside of its normal range of motion. The brain tells the muscles what to do, and the muscles tell the bones what to do. So generally speaking, I have a joke that says, what do chiropractors do? And that people are always like, well, they work with the nervous system, and they adjust you, and this and that. And some people say they, they crack you and other stuff like that. And I said, well, basically, in the, in the essence, they move the bone, which is the simplified version of what we do. And then you say, okay, well, what also moves bones in your body? And you say, well, the muscles move your bones. Okay, fantastic. And what tells your muscles what to do? Well, your brain does. Sweet. So who knows how to move your bones better, your chiropractor or your brain? And inevitably, people come to the conclusion, I've had a couple people say you're a chiropractor, but um, typically it's your brain, right? Your brain knows how to move your muscles better, and that muscle moves your joint. So if I can start at the brain, which is why we do brain-based wellness, we can influence the brain, which is the central command center, telling the muscles what to do, telling the joints what to do. So the joints are really, for me, just a symptom. It's like a check engine light on your dashboard. So I hope that concisely says how I differentiate myself as far as looking at you as an individual saying, okay, where were you stuck? What were your toxicity levels? You know, where were the muscles strained out? And I work on the muscles. I don't even adjust the joint, to be quite frank with you. I don't even adjust the joint anymore. I simply balance the muscles and the brain pattern associated with that joint system. Okay. Well, it's it's ironic that you brought up the whole gallbladder thing because I've got a, a friend who's having some issues. And it's like, I am going to refer her to you because she's in people. And she's just been struggling with this. And she's very sure. much of a holistic side and, um, and, and what you're saying actually makes a lot of sense. And even with my, with my back, I didn't, I didn't consciously feel I was stuck, but when you think about it, I really was because my whole, um, you know, everything with COVID, all my business shut down, my speaking and the whole nine yards and stuff. And so I didn't, I thought I was handling it all and, you know, trying to pivot and stuff. But, um, yeah, very, very interesting in that. So one one tangent on that, I don't want want to get ready. I just want to give you one tangent on that. Just think about this. We hold our stress in our body. So when you Mm -hmm. think about filling this blank for me, when I get excited, I get butterflies in my stomach. Where do you get them? Yeah, exactly. And if you feel sadness mm-hmm. or grief, where do you feel it in your body? Oh, my heart. Yeah, heart, heavy heart, heavy chest, right? Mm-hmm. Grief, sadness mm-hmm. in the lungs and the heart. We don't, hand, we don't hold our stress in our brain. Like, I don't get, like, butterflies in the corner of my head. I don't get sadness mm-hmm. in the back of my head. You feel it mm-hmm. viscerally in your body. So if you ever have a pain in your body in the absence of a trauma, just know your body's sending you a signal about some type of stress you're not dealing with. Or it okay. can't overcome. Just as a okay. side note to that. Okay, sounds good. Um, now, one of the things that, uh, you know, you uh, went on your website and was looking at some, some different things you do. You do neurofeedback and something called QNRT. I, I have no idea what that stands for. Um, yeah. So can you, can you explain what that is? Because I couldn't find a definition of it on the site either, and it's probably there. Sure. I just didn't see it. Oh, um, but if you okay. can explain what those two things are and how you think that they can um, – you know, help people with Alzheimer's or dementia or, or brain disorders. 
Absolutely. Love the question. Appreciate the opportunity to share the different perspective. Uh, so when you understand the, the, the QNRT term is quantum neural reset therapy. So quantum meaning a major shift, like a massive shift along the system. And you're mm-hmm. talking about a neurological reset. So we're talking about <clears throat> all information coming from your body goes up through your hypothalamus and then into your brain for, uh, once it's directed. Like your hypothalamus is like a central command center that says, you know, I'm going to send this to this part of the brain, this to this part of the brain, and so on and so forth. So what QNRT does, QNRT is a technique developed by Dr. John Turner. He's out of, um, out of the Atlanta area. And back, uh, he's, it's probably been like, let's see, he was eight years without training. So it's been probably 15 years since he started developing this technique. And he really pioneered the information. He, what he did was, um, there's a Gerd Hammer. I've never heard of Dr. Hammer. He was a German physician, um, was healing people with cancer without medicine, and basically the German board didn't like that, and so on and so forth. So there's a long story there. But um, QNRT is based on German new medicine. And German new medicine is a concept that most people have no appreciation for. But really, when you start understanding, Hammer was doing um, studies on people with conditions, but looking at their brain scans and understanding the correlation between a certain part of the area and a certain part of the body and where they were getting their tissue stress. So what mm-hmm. QNRT does is it, we talk about it finds the stress, you own the stress, you feel the stress, and then you reset it and forget it. So find it, own it, feel it, reset it, and forget it. And what, what um, neurofeedback does is you take the, the brain and you start um, either elevating alpha, depressing theta, balancing theta, beta, um, decreasing beta if there's panic and anxiety. It just depends on how you're looking at the brain. You're looking at, okay, how do I need to balance the brain? So what, what neurofeedback does for us is it tends to um, – push buried traumas in the nervous system, whether they're inherited stresses or they're stresses you've experienced in your life, because your, your, your brain wants to push them down and hold them down. And I'll get to the, the connection to this in, in, in uh, Alzheimer's in a second here, but it's helpful to understand the backstory. So QNRT is basically on the premise of any issue that you have in your body or your brain, for that matter, starts in the brain first and foremost, in the psyche, in the brain, in the mind, and then manifests. In fact, uh, Dr. Hammer would argue, would have argued, he's passed away now, but would have argued that um, cancer doesn't start in the body. Cancer starts in the brain. And it doesn't mean it metastasizes from the brain to the body. What happens is you have the conflict in your brain, in your mind, that's unresolved, and it goes on and on and on. And because we store our, our brain stress in our body, it starts creating density in the tissue. So it could be a fibrocystic tissue. It could be a, a tumor or something like that. It could be a pain somewhere in your body, a tingling sensation, burning, anything like that. That's like your sensory cortex or your, you have an inability to move your body, like people that have strokes and have that the struggle with how to move their body. That's also brain related, obviously. So mm-hmm. QNRT helps resolve the traumas related to, let's say, Alzheimer's. Now you want to get to Alzheimer's, you know, the, the brain is neuroplastic and it has an amazing ability to heal itself, provided it has the right environment. Just like if you ask yourself, well, how does a hurricane start? Well, the simplest answer is when all the conditions are right. How does a tornado start? When all the conditions are right. How does Alzheimer's start? How does Alzheimer's begin? How does cancer begin? How does MS begin? How does anything begin, right? Parkinson's. It's when the conditions are just right. So mm-hmm. when you understand the, the brain connection to, um, to the Alzheimer's condition, because it, it's a condition, remember, right? And, mm-hmm. and when you understand that, in my opinion, diseases don't exist. And that's kind of a Mark Hyman line. If you know who Mark Hyman is, he's the, one of the founders of the Institute for Functional Medicine and a, a big influencer there. But diseases are collections of symptoms put on a piece of paper, and then someone puts their name on it. For example, Alzheimer. I don't even know. I mm-hmm. probably knew at one point who Dr. Alzheimer was, but it doesn't matter. That's a condition. And we talk about ditching the diagnosis because if you have, been, if you have accepted a label, you're going to live down to that label, and you're going to assume that you're going to be stuck with that label or you're going to have to manage that label because our medical system is fantastic at emergency medicine. Man, if you need your life saved, if you need your, your limb put back on, if you need bleeding stopped and things like that, our emergency technicians, our, our medical physicians are the best in the world. Hands down, no question. When it comes to quality of life and how well you can achieve optimal health once, that, once you're out of the danger zone, shall we say, that's where mm-hmm. the system fails. So when you think about Alzheimer's and you think about the different conflicts in life, okay? So think about, um, so this is all information you can get online. Um, at different resources, but um, generally speaking, too much suffering for too many years, okay? And your circuits get burnt out in your brain, literally, when it comes to Alzheimer's. Or you have a conflict relating to not being able to understand things, and that prevents their solution. And this is where people get the confusion, you know, with it so, so often associated with Alzheimer's, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. There's different threads about I cannot recognize others because, you know, my mother or father didn't recognize me. So mm-hmm. these are the type of stressors that people experience in their life as a child because German New Medicine is really a- akin to the – are you familiar with the ACE study? That was I'm done not. by Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. Okay. So ACE study was um, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And what they found, they were looking for why were people getting sick, and they never expected what they were going to find. But they did a longitudinal study, which means over time. So Kaiser Permanente, big insurance company, teamed with the CDC, and they did what's called the ACE study. And it's been repeated multiple times. But what they did was they looked for what is the cause for disease? Why are people getting sicker? Why are the mortality rates increasing? And why are you know, all these neurodegenerative conditions developing? What they determined was the greater number of adverse childhood experiences we have in our lifetime, okay, that's going to determine our health outcome in the future. Okay, I don't know what religious sect it was, but they said, give me a a child for the first seven years of their life and I'll show you the man. Okay? Mm -hmm. That is basically saying the first seven years of your life, your brain is basically in either delta or theta. And those are the lower functioning brain waves. First two years of your life, your brain waves are in delta, which means you're deep sleep, you're kind of knocked out, there's not a lot of consciousness. Then, you know, between two and three, your your theta starts kicking in. Theta is like, you know how kids are so creative and imaginative? Mm-hmm. Theta is your lucid dreaming, your lucid dreaming brainwave, which means that they are sort of mixing reality and, and fiction, right, and, and, and fantasy. And then seven hits, and then that's when your frontal cortex starts developing. Frontal cortex is 40% of your brain, but it doesn't even turn on until you're seven, and it just starts uh-huh. developing. It doesn't fully develop until your early 20s, okay? So what's fascinating uh-huh. about that is, you, so you've had a device where you've been given it, and you had to upload uh, programs on it, right? So let's just say yep. your phone, for example. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if I give you an iPhone but it doesn't have any programs on it, how are you going to use it, right? You have to get programs. Mm-hmm. So think of the human brain as a blank slate when you're born for a certain extent. It's got, some, it's got a hard drive, but it needs some programs to run. So you get negative patterns from watching mom and dad. All you pick, we tend to pick up all the patterns from mom and dad or grandma, grandpa, aunt, and uncle, whoever the authority figures in your life, or older siblings too. And then we also inherit stresses from them. So certain stressors like, I, I fully believe I'll never uh, manifest MS because I'm, first of all, managing my, my, my body health wisely, but I'm also managing my mental health because mm-hmm. MS is a disease of the mind, first and foremost, and the body later. So uh, understand that when you can help reduce the number of adverse childhood experiences, first and foremost, you want to eliminate the, the adverse experiences. And then you want to be able to find a technique um, like QNRT, I've heard Psych K is great. Um, that's like Bruce Lipton's favorite. Um, there's a bunch of different techniques out there. Um, EMDR could probably serve some type of function. There's a neuroemotional technique called NET. There's a bunch of different ways to get into the psyche and help resolve these traumas. But these traumas that happen early on in life, right, end up causing the neurodegenerative disease later in life. Now, there are certainly issues with crappy diet, eating bad food, um, smoking, drinking too much, detox pathways, being massively dehydrated, forward head carriage, which is a structural issue, which cuts off blood flow and oxygen to the brain. But ultimately, the human body is absolutely amazing in its ability to uh, provide and, and overcome challenges. But let's just say you had, you know, I wasn't feeling recognized by my mom or dad as a, as a two-year-old, and that is repeated throughout the life. That literally becomes a neurodegenerative disorder over time, and then the, the brain finally succumbs to it, and the brain says, I can't handle this reality anymore. I can't handle not being recognized anymore. So I'm going to start dis- detaching myself from reality, disassociating myself, and that's when people start getting the, the dementia where they start forgetting where they are and who they are, and they start creating alternate realities, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a tangent. I, I Hopefully I wasn't too scattered there. I try to connect a bunch of different dots for you. Well, it's interesting. When you talked about the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience, I did just read something on that, and it was fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I didn't know, I didn't remember that that was the name of it, but basically that was what they were talking about. And it was a quite a large study too, if I remember correctly too, because some studies are are pretty small, but this was a a pretty large study that I was um, reading on and it was, it was absolutely absolutely fascinating. And, you know, as, as a grandma, it just makes me look at, my grand, well, you know, my my child and my grandkids and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know the experiences, and and it just it puts a whole new twist on on everything. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, you know, for for Alzheimer's disease and and other dementias, 
um, you know, the, the QNRT and the, and, um, mm-hmm. the neurofeedback work, but I mean, they work for, for anybody, um, in any situation, I'm assuming not just Absolutely. people with dementia. Yep. So, so let's, sure. let's, let's dive in a little bit more with the neurofeedback and what that looks like and, and, um, and feels like, well, actually probably with both on what, what would be the, I won't say patient, the active participants experience mm-hmm. in terms of, sure. of going through either of those therapies. Absolutely. So if, for those of people who don't know about neurofeedback, what you're using is a, an electroencephalograph, which means you're reading the brain waves. So some people use a, a multi-point cap. They put a cap over the head and they connect electrodes to different areas of the brain. Um, some use a more simplistic system where you might work on the frontal lobe separately from the back of the brain versus the middle of the brain. It just depends on what type of system you want to use. There's a bunch of different ones out there. They're all basically built off one of three or four platforms, but that's going to be what you're going to see. You're going to sit down in a hopefully a comfortable chair. Um, we have a nice comfy recliner for people to relax in, and they, they are literally watching a screen, a TV or a computer screen, and they're given a reward based on their brain's ability to maintain a brainwave. So if we're trying to prime the brain to maintain better alpha to help resolve some of the long-term stresses or short-term stresses, whether you're at the back of the brain or the middle of the brain, what you're going to do is you're going to watch a, a scene. Hopefully it's a tranquil scene because you want to be in alpha relaxation mode. And you're going to build the scene in your mind. And the more you can detach from trying to control it and let your mind go and maintain that relaxation, like, oh, I'm just relaxed and I'm calm watching this, <clears throat> excuse me, this scene, your brain's going to develop it and it's going to be fed back. So the scene will continue to develop. So what that's doing is it basically rewarding the brain. It's like taking your brain to the, to the gym, shall we say, and you're rewarding it. You know, maybe if you've ever trained a dog before, you, you, here's a treat for sitting down. Here's a treat for um, healing, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. The brain is a little bit more dynamic than that, but you give it a reward. You allow the, the, the scene to develop or the music to continue to play as they're able to maintain that alpha brain wave, the theta brain wave, the beta, or the delta, depending on what you're training. And so mm-hmm. that, that's, you're basically working on what's called a quantum electroencephalograph, the QEEG. And, and that helps you understand how, how their stress tolerance is, where their traumas are, um, how well they can sit still, calm themselves. Do they, do they have OCD behaviors? Do they have ADHD, ADD type behaviors? Um, I can tell you right off the bat whether they're using THC products, whether they're taking Ritalin, just by their brain waves. Because when certain things are off the charts, you just know by, based on watching these things. As mm-hmm. I mentioned before, when you, when you do neurofeedback, that's, that's a tool, right? If you were mm-hmm. to go into a practitioner and just do neurofeedback, you're looking at probably to get a substantial, noticeable change, you're looking at like 80 to 90 sessions, which is a mm-hmm. lot of sessions. That's a lot. Yeah. And so when you, when you couple neurofeedback with QNRT, we can literally transform someone's life in 20 sessions, okay? which okay. is, you know, one, one fifty amount of time. Because what neurofeedback yep. does in our system is it helps raise the stressors out of the, the, the buried areas in the nervous system and then helps the, the QNRT system then resolve them. Because uh-huh. your brain is wired for survival and, and your brain is not going to, it's not designed for long-term chronic stress. It needs to reconcile something and move on. That's why human beings, we look for causation. We look for who to blame, what to blame, what was the cause. Mm-hmm. And that's why we try to pin the thing on, pin the thing on one thing, right? Oh, it's mm-hmm. the cancer. The cancer is why I'm sick. No, the cancer is not why you're sick. The cancer is your body's attempt to heal itself. People have a, mm-hmm. generally speaking, based on the medical model, they have an idea of cancer as being uh, a foreign invader, something toxic or something from the outside. It has nothing to do with that. It's coming from the inside, and it's your body's attempt to heal itself. So when you understand that, it doesn't matter what condition, Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, and things like that, your body's trying to heal itself, Okay. So when you can bring these traumas to the surface that are resulting in these physical conditions, then you can help the brain rewire itself. We call it a brain reset. So you find it, own it, feel it, reset it, and forget it. That helps you then overcome these and then lets the body heal itself. Because think about this. Let's take a joint, for example. If you injure a joint and you, your body can't fix it after about 30 days, it's going to ignore it because it the body will ignore constant stimulus. Like if the co- body's constantly feeding back to the brain for 30 days or more, uh, basically what, what's going to happen is your brain's going to say, I can't deal with that right now because I need the other life-saving, life-sustaining things to do. So I need to ignore mm-hmm. that stimulus right now. So we need to push those traumas back to the surface because the brain has adapted to them 
if you think about yourself, you've adapted to injuries. There's things you've given up in your life where you can't do anymore or choose not to do because it's painful or it causes too much grief. You've given them mm-hmm. up and you've adapted to a new, a new life. Now, think about that in your brain standpoint. You, in, in, you get a trauma or a, a wound or something like that, and then what happens is you adapt to it and you move on in life. Okay? Same thing happens yep. in the body. Same thing happens in the brain. So what you've done throughout your life is just adapt to stressful circumstances and moved on. So um, wh- whoever you had kids with, you probably got involved with them because they were similar enough to the patterns of your mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, aunt and uncle that were, was influencing your life early on that that felt comfortable. You know, and as you evolve, you may look at that person and say, well, and how to reconcile this? Because I see you in a different light now based on my understanding of my body, my life, and what I've gone through. So it, it extends into every area of your life. So when we talk about the QNRT reset, we use uh, the cranial nerves, which is smell, sound, taste, touch, um, eye movement, vision, um, vibration, things like that. And those access the cranial nerves. If you understand a cranial nerve, a cranial nerve comes out of your brain and actually exit your skull and simply and uh, directly stimulate something on the outside of your head. So when we can stimulate your cranial nerves, we can massively impact how your brain is being wired because if you understand your brain is wired a certain way and if we can change the wiring, uh, we can change your life, if that makes sense. Uh, are mm-hmm. you familiar with Dr. Joe, Joe Dispenza at all, Dr. Joe Dispenza? No, I'm not. Okay, so he's a chiropractor. Um, won't go into his story, but he had a massive accident. They said he needed spinal fusion. He refused it. Killed his own body through meditation. Blah blah blah. Amazing guy. Super smart. I mean, wicked smart. Um, what he talks about is neural nets. So when you have a traumatic experience, it's like your brain turns on a video camera and starts recording, right? And mm-hmm. it grabs all the information. It grabs environmental allergens in the air. It grabs people and places and tastes and what you have in your digestive system. So you could have a seasonal allergy related to some type of trauma you experienced as a child. You could have a food allergy or food sensitivity associated with some type of um, traumatic time in your life or some very stressful time because your brain is recording everything in the environment. And it creates what's called a neural net. And think of a neural net as a bunch of neurons collected together, and they fire together and they wire together. So as soon as you start having reinforcing experiences, they start wiring more of these things together. So what we need to do with QNRT is and brain training is disassociate those negative neural nets, as Dr. Dispenza describes, and start replacing them with healthy patterns because your brain is absolutely amazing. They used to think the brain mm-hmm. was static and it couldn't change. Now we know it has neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, it sounds kind of an, it's like an oxymoron. Like your brain has neuroplasticity, which plastic kind of sounds rigid and hard, but it means your brain can change. And you can mm-hmm. develop new brain, brain cells. You can brain, develop new brain neural nets and things like that. So the cool thing about brain training is we can train your brain to operate differently, and then we can resolve the trauma so you can disassociate those negative neural nets and create new positive experiences and new positive neural nets. Okay. So let me ask this. Is, is, are these types of therapies, are they covered by insurance, or are these private P-type situations? It's most likely going to be a combination of both. Now, if you have mm-hmm. a, a counselor, uh, like a – licensed family marriage, you know, counselor or uh, psychologist, psychiatrist that, that does that, you can actually get reimbursed um, through the coding they use, the ICD-10 coding, International mm-hmm. Code for di- Diseases, right? Mm-hmm. It depends on who you work with. Like, we, we strictly do not work with insurance companies by choice because they're going to try and tell me how to take care of our participants. They're going to say, mm-hmm. no, our coding says that the standard of care for this type of condition is X, Y, and Z. Everything we do is try to help people ditch their diagnosis, not to hold on to it, not to live down to it. So what we say is, okay, you can work with your insurance company, and we have a nurse practitioner on, on, with our team, and we can say, okay, you have a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, um, ADD, ADHD. We can get the neurofeedback covered. But because the medical world sees the brain and the body completely disconnected, they don't recognize techniques like um, QNRT in order to say, well, let's just say there hasn't been enough research or double-blinded placebo-controlled studies to say, yes, there's, there's efficacy here. I would love to work with an insurance company and say, let's do a, a trial so I can show you, you take your cohort, I'll take my cohort, and I'll show you how dramatically improved their lives can be in a short period of time. And then that would be mm-hmm. given fuel to help um, cover it. But remember, insurance companies are in the business of making money off insurance plans. And medical world, although they, they say they want to fix things, Everything they do, if you've been in that world before, it's they're managing the care. That's why they call managed care systems, managed care plans. Mm-hmm. They're managing your care. They'll keep you 
alive enough, long enough to, to, you know, if you need a surgery, we'll give you a surgery, but it's basically managing your care. It's not fixing anything. So, mm-hmm. yes, um, QNRT is definitely going to be a private pay at this point. Some people might be able to get um, neurofeedback covered if they have a, a mm-hmm. diagnosis already, to answer your question in short form. Okay. And are are you comfortable sharing what those costs are roughly? And, and I don't know, there might be a range or whatever, but sure. I'm sure our listeners would be interested in that. Absolutely. Of course. Um, so uh, we're calling neurofeedback for doing a 30 minute session. That's a $115. And mm-hmm. then the brain reset it, it's going to, so every practitioner is going to range. Okay. So, some people will will bill a thousand dollars to an insurance company for a, for acute EEG, which is a quantum mm-hmm. quantum electroencephalograph, which I think mm-hmm. is distortion personally. But um, I I don't play in the insurance world because I think the whole system is a little bit uh, uh, bunk. But no, we're not going to go off on that tangent. So a, a neurofeedback session for us would be one hundred fifteen dollars. So that's a thirty minute session up to up to a thirty minute session depending on when your brain fatigues because your brain can only handle so much. Like you go to the gym and you got to you got to understand your body and go to a certain point where you're not going to injure yourself but we want to mm-hmm. we want to push the brain too far so we have neurotherapists that monitor the brain hands-on and say okay you're starting to fatigue here we're going to stop the session so that might be at 10 minutes and it might be at 25 minutes it might be at 30 minutes mm-hmm. so we we set aside 30 minutes to optimize our function because that's what we've seen as far as people we haven't seen people go past 30 minutes ever so we just leave the time so we can set people up take people down and things like that so that's 150 mm-hmm. hours. Then the neural, the neural, neural reset therapy after that, that's 187. And that's going to mm-hmm. vary based on the practitioner. So I'm, I'm considered a master practitioner within the QNRT world because I've, I've done probably 10,000 resets at this point. Um, I've been doing, um, we've been doing hundreds uh, of QEGs and then thousands of brain reset uh, brain trainings. So when we work with the QNRT association, which is a, a separate nonprofit, um, they monitor people's progress, and we report back to them regularly, and we have continuing education credits that allow us to give feedback and help grow as a community because the community is growing not as fast as I'd like it to because I think we need to help evolve the consciousness of, of our of our population. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, it just depends on the practitioner. So everybody's going to be a little bit different. Some Someone might say, yeah, I'll charge you $87 for a reset, but when you've done as many as I have and you know the nuances of the brain and you know how to so, to elicit different reactions and different shifts in people – then you can start understanding like where the value is. Like what I've done in the past uh, five years, someone might take 15 years to do. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, if you, you probably gathered by now, I'm a little bit obsessed about what I do. I, I, I tend to talk really fast because I'm super passionate about it. So I apologize that people need to <laughs> slow down the, the podcast and uh, put it in halftime mode because I get a little too excited. But um, everybody's gonna be a little different. But that gives you a frame of reference for our, our services. Okay. And so you had mentioned, you know, doing um, the QNRT and the neurofeedback kind of together. Um, how often, you said like 20 sessions, are, are those at the same time or are they, you know, once a month or how, and right. again, I know everyone's probably a little bit different, but yeah. just if you give people a, a general idea. Absolutely. Fantastic question. It's really great for people to have a frame of reference. Um, so I've been, I give you a frame of reference for me. Now, this is not everybody because not everybody's me and not everybody has access to what I have. But I've been doing at least one brain reset myself a week since 2016. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I typically, sometimes I get together with people at conferences and we'll do two or three in a day. Mm-hmm. Average person coming into our clinic, let's say somebody flies in from out of state, you know, they come in from California, Connecticut, Florida, wherever they come from, Michigan. And they come in and they say, okay, I want to do an intense week. So what we do is we do <clears throat> two brain trainings followed by two QNRT resets, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're doubling up our, our intensity. We found that if you push people past two brain resets and two um, brain trainings in a day, it tends mm-hmm. to be sort of a – you don't want to get to the neurodegeneration state. You don't want to push their brain so hard that it's just like melting down, I mean, for lack of a better explanation. Yeah. But if you're, if you're training for a marathon, which is what life is, right, it's not a sprint, you don't want to be training too much. So we, we would do a maximum of 10 – resets, turn brain, turn brain resets and 10 brain trainings in a week. So they come in from out of town. Okay. We see them in the morning, in the afternoon. They'll also do pulse electromagnetic field therapy, which is called PEMF. They'll do an hour to two hours of that in the morning, hour to two hours of that in the evening. And I'll, I'll work with them if, if they will do nutritional checks, we'll do structural work, brain-based balancing. I, I call it um, chiropractic brain balancing because we don't do um, whip, crack, pop, and snap anymore. We do all brain balancing. But that, that would be an intense week. Other side of that is someone might come in as a maintenance to say, okay, 
I really feel good when I get a reset every three weeks or every four weeks. Some people mm-hmm. like come in for an intense week and then they, they go off and two years later they come back in, they have a health crisis or a life crisis and they come back in and they do, you know, um, four to six and then they're back on track and then they're gone. Right. But mm-hmm. what you want to appreciate is this is not something that's intended to, to be short term. It's not intended to be like, Oh, I'm just going to get you out of pain or out of, out of, you know, out of stress right now. I literally expect your brain to, to evolve and to be different than it was when it walked in. I feel, I feel very absolutely confident saying to people, Every time you walk out of here after QNRT reset, you will be a different person. You'll be a, a more well-adjusted, a less stressed, less oversensitive person. And I expect that to change. Now, people are going to have massive crises. That's going to happen. Some people might get knocked back, but you can always bring them back to where they were. Because the mind, mm-hmm. once it's altered, it will never go back to the same way it was before. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's say you have a, a person who's local, so they don't have to do a, an intensive thing, um, yeah. who's, who's been through some trauma, What's, mm-hmm. what, what would be a, a typical pace? And again, I, I know that this is, this sure. is a reach. So to our listeners, sure. you know, everybody's different and, and, um, and needs to get a specific, um, you know, situation for them, but just, uh, um, for, for a typical person or, and, and does this work for kids as well? Um, I would yes. be interested oh, in that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I would, I would say that put it in the framework of it all depends on how fast you want to go. Do you want to go one mile an hour? How fast do you want to get over your stress and trauma? You can go hundred miles mm-hmm. an hour. So the brain and body respond to frequency, intensity, quality, duration, and timing of stimulus. So frequency, intensity, quality, duration, and timing of stimulus. So the okay. more frequent, the higher quality, um, the higher intensity, the, the longer the duration and, and the things like that. So the more you can bundle it together the, in a shorter period of time, the faster a person's going to heal. Now, if a person mm-hmm. can't afford it or can't allow that much time, then I would say let's do one a week for mm-hmm. six weeks. We could do one every two weeks if you needed to. We could do once a month. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it really depends on a person's uh, resource ability, time capability, their desire to feel better now. And also mm-hmm. with anything in life, it really depends on their desire to let go of what they've been holding on to. Because I can mm-hmm. tell you I've worked with people – that are still getting some type of secondary benefit out of their condition or out of their situation that they're not yet ready, willing, or able to let go of. Okay. Okay. And that sounds crazy, but some people, and it's not like they're consciously saying, yes, I need this in order to, um, in order to feel good. What is happening is, you know, if you know who Tony Robbins is, you know, he talks about the different um, needs in life, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Certainty, variety, love, connection, um, you know, communication, um, contribution, and evolution, like growth, right? So anytime a person can meet their needs of certainty, uncertainty, contribution, significance, and things like that, if they can meet any one of the three of the six major human needs, they will literally become addicted to a condition or situation until they find that they associate more pain with that condition or that situation than they do with the alternative. Okay. So when people associate too much pain with changing, they're going to stay. If they're getting too much out of their current situation, they're going to stay with it. I had a, one woman come in, and we did an intense week. We did two resets, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. At that time, I don't believe I had brain training. Um, but at the end of that week, she said, I said, you know, we've been on the same thing. It was, it was basically a relationship that she knew was socially unacceptable. It wasn't an intimate relationship, but she was, she was getting fulfillment out of that relationship that she wasn't getting out of her marriage and she wasn't going outside of the marriage as far as um, physical um, condition, like physical contact, like intimacy, but Mm -hmm. it was, she was getting something from that relationship that was unhealthy for her. And she knew that, but she wasn't getting it in her marriage. So what she was doing Mm -hmm. was fulfilling that basic human need from that relationship. And I did 10 resets on her. Each one of them was related to um, Epstein-Barr virus, which is related to making bad decisions, um, tired of dealing with the same old thing over and over again. Um, trying to please others, all this other garbage, right? And mm-hmm. by the end of the week, I looked at her and said, um, I, I have to be frank with you. We've been on this same topic this entire week, and I just need to know from you, are you ready to let go of this relationship so that you can have uh, the life that you would feel good about? And she looked at me in, in the eyes and said, you know what? I'm just not ready to let go of it. And I said, I don't believe that this was all for naught, but I do believe that until you decide to let go of that relationship, there is no point in moving forward with this type of care. 
So we all mm-hmm. have to be honest and look in the mirror and take a gut check and say, am I willing, able, and ready to let go of what I know in order to get what I want? Because that mm-hmm. is where life changes. We have to change something about what we do on a daily basis. Uh, that could start with brushing your teeth, putting your pants on differently. It could be talking to your spouse differently, to your kids differently, um, going to work in a different way, choosing to think a different way. If we don't change something we do on a daily basis, we're never going to change anything about our life. So we have to yeah. be ready to let go of that. Yeah. Well, and that, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier on too was about um, ditching the label because we'll live down to the label. And I think that's Correct. something so common um, with people with dementia and, you know, they're really speaking out about that and trying to break some of the stigma mm-hmm. and saying, Absolutely. you know, see, see me as a person first, not, not as a diagnosis. And yep. um it's so empowering to 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 get into that space, and um, I, I'm a big holistic believer, and I'm just intrigued with all of the things that you're you're stating here. And you know, when dementia hits, you know, they talk about adaption all the time, mm-hmm. and sure. you know, and how you know how to adjust, and getting into that acceptance of being more more uh, spontaneous and letting go of fear and embarrassment and just saying, this is who I am. You know, I'm not a perfect human being. I wasn't before. Um, And just looking, you know, really adjusting their world totally differently. And so I can see where where all of this could be um, extremely helpful for people, not just with dementia, but even for their care partners who are feeling overwhelmed and who have really, Bought into you know life can't be good in this situation, um, yeah. and you know that we we sell um, so much we we sell help or services by fear, and I think that's oh. a lot what yeah. what what uh, disease has done. They they scare the bejesus out of us, and mm-hmm. they try to they, that's how they figure out how they're going to raise money instead of giving people hope. Yeah. In well, there's no, there's no money in the cure. There's no money in the cure. Yep. And sadly, yep. that there's just way too much money to be made. I mean, the, the Susan G. Komen Cancer Foundation, not to throw any names out there, but millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. And you could, yeah. everyone who donates to any organization should dig down and say, what percentage of what I'm donating is going directly to research? What is your administrative cost? And as long as they're honest about it, it's okay. But a lot of yep. them, you know, try to co- cover up like what they're doing with the money. And so yep. you just have to be cognizant of, First of all, get the information like, okay, thanks for that diagnosis, doc. Make sure they can tell you why that's happening. It's not mm-hmm. enough to know now. You got to know why. And yep. you got to know what to do about it. Because they'll tell yep. you all day long why you have a condition, but they can't tell you what to do about it and they can't tell you how it developed. So mm-hmm. if you can stop and say, I need to know why. And if, so do you know the definition of doctor by chance? No, I don't. Okay. Most people think it's like a lab coat and a prescription pad and medications. But if you look up in the root definition of doctor, it's teacher. Mm-hmm. So I am absolutely so, obsessed because I, I grew up with asthma and eczema and my skin was bleeding. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't play sports and I couldn't have animals. I gave away all the animals, couldn't go in a hayloft and all that stuff. I was told was to take, take your corticosteroids and take your allergy shots and, and you'll just, you have to take it. And then sometime in my early thirties, uh, early to mid thirties, I said, I went to my allergy and asthma specialist. I said, look, you, I'm tired of taking these medications. I'm worried about my bone health. I'm worried about suppressing my immune system because of the corticosteroids I've taken for 30 plus years. What alternatives are there? And they said, look, we believe that the benefits outweigh the risks. So we believe you should keep taking them. And I said, I shook their hand. I said, thank you very much. I'm never coming back. And I Mm -hmm. worked diligently to use nutrition, uh, PEMF to a great extent. And then I ultimately found the neuroemotional connections to, you know, asthma, things like that, like fear of failure, fear of disappointing people, fear in general. Uh, and then I realized I had to heal my mind to heal my body. So uh-huh. when you can understand that, it's, it's, you just have to understand that there's no money in a cure and they're not going to, that's why it's called a managed care system because it, <laughs> there's way more money to be made. I mean, more, more cures have been suppressed in, in research than have ever been brought to light. I can tell you that. Uh-huh. Wow. Well, I can't believe we only have like 10 minutes left and I want to talk about um, eating habits and, you know, eating right for your body and how that can help somebody who's diagnosed with, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia or to try to help prevent it as well and what your thoughts are on that. 
Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So diet, of course, is pivotal. Whatever happens in the gut happens in the brain. So remember, your gut is arguably at this point your first brain. People say, well, your gut's your second brain. If, you, if, no one, if your listeners have never heard that, that's pretty common for people to say your gut is your second brain. Well, just as many signals go from your gut to your brain as they go from your brain to your gut through the vagus nerve system. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure that you're optimizing your digestive health because, I mean, just look at all the food-like substances that are out in the market right now. It's not even food anymore. It's food-like substances. So simple stuff. You know, when your listeners are shopping, shop the perimeter of the market. Do not go to the middle of the market because the middle of the shopping market is going to be all the processed foods. So stick mm-hmm. to the outside. Shop the perimeter. That's the, that's the easiest thing you can do. If you do nothing else, just shop the perimeter. Stay away from the box stuff because the box stuff is there designed for you to eat more of it to desire more of it, to get you addicted to it based on the crinkliness of the packaging, to the, the pit images on there, the level of it, it is on the countertop and stuff like that. It's all designed to get you to be addicted to the food. That's why they call, they're mm-hmm. called food scientists. So when you think mm-hmm. about food, there's a lot of different theories out there, right? So there's the mind diet, the M-I-N-D, so M-I-N-D, like mind, like your mind, mind diet. There's mm-hmm. a lot of um, nutritional supplementation you can do. So, you know, for example, just off the top of my head, um, you know, the MIND diet typically talks about veggies. I mean, this is basic stuff. It's like combining the Mediterranean diet with a keto diet, something like that, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, eating, eating fish, you know, cold water fish, high in fat. Um, I would say eliminate all grains because, gra- you know, if you've not read the book Grain Brain or Wheat Belly, those are two great books, Grain Brain and mm-hmm. Wheat Belly. Um, you know, some people say drink wine because of the resveratrol, but I can tell you that the wine is going to tax your liver. It's going to cause a detox challenge. And that's going to give you brain challenges. Um, mm-hmm. So you eat, eat legumes, eat, eat um, nuts and things like that, berries, green leafy vegetables, eat the rainbow as far as veggies go. I generally recommend our, our anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory food guide. I used to call it the vitality food guide, but my team said nobody really likes that. So we call it the anti-inflammatory food guide now because it's more of a broad spectrum. But you can get that off our website for free. Um, basically, what it talks about is I recommend people eat um, fruits in the afternoon as a snack, but eat veggies and fats and proteins in the morning and at lunch, okay? Because if you think about your brain, some people describe Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Yep. So yep. insulin yep. insulin resistance in the brain, right? I'm sure you, if you're in Alzheimer's world, you've heard type 3 diabetes by now. It's not mm-hmm. that simple, okay? It's not just blood sugar related, although I can guarantee you blood sugar has a massive impact on it because Blood sugar dysregulation is going to be related to inflammation in your, in your system. So always manage uh, blood sugar and keep it as low as possible. Shift your body into processing with fats. Your brain will operate, because your brain's 80% fat and a bunch of water, it's going to operate better on fats than it is for sugars. Now, people will tell you, like, oh, you know, you need sugar to run your brain. That's not actually true because 50% of protein is going to break down into to glucose, and your brain will mm-hmm. run just fine by eating fats and, and veggies and proteins. But Generally speaking, some people have really, really messed up blood sugar, so they're not going to be able to sleep through the night because they're going to get blood sugar drops. So what we recommend is eating, getting back to that point, veggies, proteins, and fats in the morning and lunch, okay? Avoiding Mm -hmm. all complex and or refined carbs until the evening. In the evening, you should be relaxing. You're not going to need as much uh, uh, complex things, right? And you Mm -hmm. don't want to overburden your digestive system. So in the evening, you'd want to eat your your Yukon Gold potato or your yam with some veggies and then, you know, lower fats. Some protein is okay, depending on how balanced your blood sugar is, but comp- like bias your complex carbs for the evening and get your veggies, proteins, and fats in the morning. That's going to keep mm-hmm. your blood sugar balanced. You're not going to get the big peaks and valleys. You're going to have a slow-burning fuel in the fat. You're going to have some glucose coming from the protein, and that's going to give you a really solid foundation. And you're not going to get the afternoon dip. I don't know if you've ever had it, but, I mean, when I started making the shift to eating more fat and less um, carb, and more protein, mm-hmm. what I noticed was I used to get the, it was my epiphany, like one of my, my epiphanies in, in chiropractic school was like, like, and I'm falling asleep in class after lunch. What is going on? Well, mm-hmm. I, mean, I was snacking on Nature Valley granola bars because I could buy them in a the big pack from Costco or Sam's. I was eating a half a plate of rice or pasta or something like that because I, I felt in my mind that if I didn't eat that much, I wouldn't be filled up. And what I realized was like, man, this is just not working for me. I need to be like alert. I need to be ready. Like, if I ate that kind of food now and I went in with participants in the afternoon after our break, I would be, you know, a space cadet because my mind would be so focused on trying to process food and, and lower my blood sugar because it was so high, my brain wouldn't function very well. So, you know, the simplest thing is get the guide off our website, eat protein, fats, and veggies in the morning. You can have fruit for a snack in the afternoon. Then eat your complex carbs, veggies, and a little bit of protein if you need to in the evening. Try to avoid a, a lot of heavy fat and stuff like that because 
you want quality sleep. And your sleep, which is part of what the Vitality or Anti-Inflammatory Food Guide does, is it helps balance your blood sugar, which helps decrease inflammation and decrease stress on your digestive system so you can sleep better. So what mm-hmm. you want to do is avoid, avoid heavy, heavy proteins and heavy, heavy fats at night, now, which is crazy because that's the American culture. We eat our biggest meal at dinner or at supper time, yep. depending on who you are. So what you need to do, at least consider doing, I should say, is understand that your gallbladder detoxifies from, from 11 to 1 or, or 12 to 2, depending on whether you're in daylight savings time or not. And that's a mm-hmm. big time when people are, should be sleeping. Some mm-hmm. people are night owls, quote-unquote, self-anointed night owls, so they'll stay up and they will eat, you know, at the 10 o'clock hour or something like that, and then they can't figure out why they have crappy sleep and they're tired the next morning, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to set yourself up for success. You want to unburden your digestive system in the evening. Do not put alcohol in your system before bed um, at any later than 5 o'clock, I would say. I don't recommend people, I don't condone day drinking, but if you're going to have a glass of wine, have it during the day and not at night. Um, so... But generally speaking, you want to avoid toxins and stressors to your digestive system and your detox pathways when you're going to bed because we'll just say from midnight to 2 and then 2 to 4, you've got gallbladder time from midnight to 2, and then from um, 2 to 4 a.m. Is your, is your liver. And you want those to be detoxing, not to be processing the junk you put in there. Okay? Does okay. that make sense? Yep. Interesting. Um, so we're talking Chinese medicine and stuff right now, but um, I, I could talk about this for days. I know we've got about five, four or five minutes left, so you go ahead with your next question if, I, if that's enough information for you. Yeah, no, this is um, this is fascinating, and I would encourage people to go ahead and download your your uh, guide for for food on there. Is there a certain place on the website that they should go to find that, or is it pretty easy to find? It should pop up on the front page. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it should just like pop right up for you. Okay, sounds good. Because I want to make sure that we get people uh, directed correctly to you. Now, your website is sequoiahealth.com, and that's uh, S-E-C-O-A, or I'm sorry, S-E-C-O-Y-A health.com, and your phone number is 651-738-7800, and like you mentioned earlier, you get people from all around the world coming coming to visit you, even though you're located here in, in uh, I believe you're in Woodbury, Minnesota, aren't you? That is correct, yes. Okay. Um, or they can heal uh, or email heal at sequoiahealth.com. You also have a Facebook page, um, an Instagram account, and um, a YouTube uh, video that people can watch and subscribe to, and we'll have all those links um, listed for you for easy access with that so again i really this has been a fascinating conversation if there was one thing that you wanted to tell people that are dealing with dementia what would that be my catchphrase is ditch the diagnosis honestly Mm -hmm. it's not going to get you anywhere but managing the condition if if you're labeled with something your doctor your medical doctor is going to give you certain drugs or certain guidelines as far as how to manage it um, I would encourage you to attack it on all fronts. Attack it from a structural standpoint, getting great posture, moving your body. We didn't even talk about exercise. Exercise first thing in the morning is absolutely critical to, to raise your brain. It's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's going to boost your growth hormone. It's going to detoxify your body. It's going to give you more energy. So exercise first thing in the morning. Eat well. We talked about the anti-inflammatory food guide. So go from exercise to eating well. And then you want to do nutritional supplementation. I mean, I could go on for hours about that, about all the different things you could do. We don't want to talk about that necessarily now, but CoQ10 and things like that, superfood trios like greens and coral and um, essential fatty acid blends and stuff like that. Um, get your structural work. Get your posture we talked about. Make sure your head is up and over your shoulder. You're not anti-forward your head carriage where you're decreasing the blood flow to your brain. And also work with a practitioner um, either QNRT, EMDR, NET, Psych-K, anything like that, where you can start resolving some of the emotional traumas that are associated with that because um, not feeling recognized in your life is, is very detrimental to your psyche, your, your self-esteem, and things like that. But you also want to understand that it goes much deeper than that. So there's okay. inherited stresses you're going to have and things like that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Dr. Schilling. This has been just fascinating. Again, you can reach Dr. Schilling by going to Sequoia Health. That's S-E-C-O-Y-A health.com. And if you have any questions for us, always just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact button. You can reach out to me anytime. We'd love to have you as a guest. Have a blessed week, everyone. And once again, thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye.
It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.